Hi, you're listening to the Wing Woman podcast, brought to you by best mates and journalists, Charlie Gowans Eglinton, that's me, and Frankie Graddon, that's her. Franks, how are you? Hello, I'm very well, thanks. How are you? Where are you? I'm in Yorkshire. You do get around. I've gone off grid. There's no Wi-Fi. I'm hotspotting. I hope we don't have any connection issues. But what will be will be. More importantly, Franks, where have your eyebrows gone? Have you bleached them off your face or...? Are eyebrows off sick? Eyebrows are 100% off sick. I don't know what's happened. I think it's the sun. Ben said it looks like they've been photoshopped off. <laughs> you always do have a very slight eyebrow, but this is a... It's an extreme for you. It's ridiculous, isn't it? I didn't have time to pencil them on before we had a phone call, so I'm sorry. You're seeing me in full boiled eggness. It's quite supermodel circa 2004. It's the kind of thing that Tyra might have done to a model on America's Next Top Model. And she'd look at them and she'd be like, mm, mm, for you, we're going to do a monk bowl haircut, shaved up the sides, and we're going to bleach off your eyebrows. And the girls would cry <laughs> and she'd be like, do you want this? I am giving you every opportunity. That's kind of what you've got happening. A very avant-garde. It's very avant-garde. Franks, what have you been up to? I went on a date. Did you? Yeah, I mean, with Ben. Do you know, I thought you were going to say friend date or something, because I was like, well, she's married, so she mustn't mean a romantic date. Isn't that terrible? Do married couples do romance <laughs> anymore? I just, it didn't occur to me. It was our first London dinner out since, it actually might have been since Valentine's Day. Oh. And it was lovely. But what made me laugh was how dressed up we got. Look, I did a liquid eyeliner. I don't think I have opened the lid off my liquid eyeliner since maybe December. I ironed my dress. Shit, man. Don't think I've used the iron this year so far. No, I'm not sure what my iron is. So we turned up looking like we were going to the Oscars party just for a local dinner. I've just forgotten how to do... I can do... Very, very casual, I'm at home in some sort of pyjama loungewear situation. But then I'm finding when I'm going outside, I've forgotten how to do that bit. Forgotten how to do outside clothes? Yeah, just normal clothes that aren't verging on black tie. What did you eat? These olives. I call them hammy olives. Mm. You know when an olive is a bit bit hammy, <laughs> bit meaty, bit spicy? Oh, God, they're so good. Ben had a lovely glass of wine. I had a chilled glass of sparkling water. Snore. Well, at least it was chilled. What are you drinking right now? Well, this was inspired by last week's triumph of a drink. You're welcome. I discovered Oatly, my favourite oat milk, does chocolate milk. Delicious. It's like a chic Nesquik. Well, I'm jealous. Although I'm not that jealous. I am drinking a Chianti Classico from Italy. It's 2016 and it's Tesco's finest. I'll have you know. Had a cork and everything. My friend said Tesco's finest Chianti Classico is pretty good. So here we are. I'm just going to hit you with something. Before we begin this call today, I decided to read my horoscope. I don't really put any faith in, in horoscopes, but I like reading them sometimes. I'm an Aquarius, and I like reading about the traits, even though I know that doesn't really have anything to do with me, and being like, oh my God, yes, I am aloof, <laughs> but I love deeply, or whatever. So I was reading my horoscope, and do you know what? It's kind of freaked me out a little bit, because... Now I am looking for how it could be true. And it seems to have no correlation to how I'm feeling right now. But now I'm projecting. It's easier so much of the time to ignore your grief. It's easier to tell yourself that things could be worse, that you're basically fine, that there's no use complaining. But the more you ignore your pain, the worse it's going to get. The more you try to bear the weight in silence, the heavier it will grow. So this week, give yourself permission to complain. 
Give yourself permission to feel hurt. The suffering and the struggle won't last forever, though it may seem that way right now. While it's here, let yourself acknowledge it. Let yourself speak its name. What? I'm so sorry, Charlie. Have I got deep buried grief? So instead of being like, huh, because normally with a horoscope, I feel like they say something that could apply to anyone. Very vague. And you can fit it to whatever is going on in your life right now. So you're like, oh, they mean with my job or, oh, they mean with that day or, oh, whatever. I've been pushing down a grief that I need to speak its name. I thought that was quite intense. This was on the cut. Do you want me to read you yours? And we can just Ooh, see yes, how you Sagittar- respond. I know you're a Sagittarius. I don't know what it means, but well, I know what you are. just in case. It's the best sign. I'm just saying. Oh, well, I'm sure you would say that if you weren't it as well. (laughs) It might feel as though your whole life has been written by somebody else, that there are no decisions left for you to make. It might feel as though the only thing left to do is to relinquish control, to hand your life over to the external forces shaping it. And it might feel powerful, even weirdly joyful, to give up the illusion of control, to accept that there are forces so much bigger than you are. But this week, it's important to pay attention to all the decisions that are still yours to make and to use what power still belongs to you. That's quite heavy. They're quite heavy. They right. Where's the you're going to meet a tall, dark, handsome stranger? No one seems to be because I've just scrolled actually. For Scorpio, this is a week for figuring out what to do with all your anger. Right, Scorpios. Libras need to remind themselves it's okay to not always be in perfect alignment with the people you love. Oh dear, Virgos are handling some change. Right, okay, we're all having a shit week apparently. But I just didn't know that I was grieving. Perhaps I'm just really good at suppressing emotion. I was going to say, maybe you've just buried it so far down that you've forgotten what it is that you're sad about. This is not what I come to horoscope for. No, thank you. Right, anyway, what have you been reading this week, Franks? So I've been reading an interesting piece on the New York Times. It's called The Power of Low Stakes Productivity. It's by Leah Vesler, and it's for the New York Times Smarter Living section, which I quite enjoy. There's lots of articles for living harmoniously, mindfully, but not in a sappy, schmaltzy kind of way. Practical stuff. I'm into it. Okay. Anyway, this piece explores the concept of low stakes productivity and the power of celebrating the small win. Leah says the pandemic has warped our concept of productivity. And this is something we discussed quite early on in lockdown. We were talking about if you haven't written a novel or become a best-selling oil pastel artist or recorded a live album in your bathroom, (laughs) you've somehow failed. But what Leah says is it's so easy to forget the impact that the pandemic has had on us and how that means that achieving big wins is not always realistic. She speaks to a professor of business called Teresa Amabile. She is the professor of business administration at Harvard Business School. Teresa says what we have to realise is that during the pandemic, everyone has an additional part-time job, which equals citizen of the COVID-19 pandemic and added responsibilities include things like staying healthy, important, caring for friends and family, dealing with precarious finances, homeschooling. So basically we have this added job to do, which again is gonna mean that achieving massive, brilliant things at work or in whatever area of life probably isn't gonna be on the cards right now. So what Teresa says is that what we need to be doing is celebrating small achievements. She uses an example. She disinfected her vegetables. And then how did she celebrate that small achievement? Did she throw a vegetable party or pop a, <laughs> pop a small candle into one of them, perhaps? So Leah writes in the piece that Teresa's research suggests 
It's the small wins that can have just as positive an influence on our sense of self-efficacy, happiness, and ultimately our productivity as enormous accomplishments do. I found this really interesting. I got back from Devon last week and just felt really flat, really, ugh. It was like Devon was a lovely little bubble away from real life. And then coming back to London meant having to get stuck back in. But the pandemic's still going. Work is still, I mean, it's better than it was at the beginning, but it's still not what it was. Pre-pandemic, money's stressful, socialising is difficult, moving around, the city is hard. And I don't know about you, but I just have moments where you feel like the pandemic's going to last forever. It feels like life isn't kicking into gear. You just feel like you're in this treading water bit which was one thing back in March and April but now we're in August looking at September and it just starts to get a bit demotivating and I felt very frustrated with the situation and frustrated with myself for not being able to be super zazzy and on the ball and full of enthusiasm and I was searching for a big achievement to make myself feel better and there wasn't one. First of all you are always zazzy. Second of all I suppose in a way having the escape of Devon and being able to go and stay with your parents and put on this different life might have put off having to face what was going on in a way until you then came back to your flat and realized life the life that you had built in London now exists in a completely different way exactly you sort of go away and then come back almost feeling like everything's going to be back to normal yeah it's the end of the holiday so it's the end of the pandemic and of course it wasn't that felt like such a shock in a way even though that's really silly because logically I mean I watch the news I know exactly what's going on anyway So I was searching for these big achievements and just thinking, God, I just don't have anything to show for myself. So I cleaned my house. Okay, I was going to say, what are your small wins? I cleaned the house. Actually quite a big win because it was the whole house. I mean, it's a one bedroom flat, so it doesn't take me very long. I started with the cutlery drawer. I did the pan drawer. I did all the kitchen drawers. I did the whole shebang. I actually felt... Amazing. I still feel quite amazing about it. Low stakes productivity. What's your take on it? Well, I kind of feel like maybe that's how I've been functioning, is focusing on the small things that are within my control and that I have just not worried about the bigger things. So yes, I've probably been making myself feel better by doing these small manageable things and then feeling like I can tick something off my list. But funnily enough, actually, what I was going to talk to you about this week is also productivity. I was also thinking, we talked about pandemic productivity at the beginning of this all and how you felt this incredible pressure to change your life in some way. I feel like now that we, I mean, who knows, knock on wood, now is the time for the after. And I feel like people are sharing their after picture and I haven't moved away from my before and I feel like all of these people who have been doing hit classes every day are now sharing a before and after picture of their pandemic glow up. People are saying, at the beginning of the pandemic, I started running and now I can run a marathon. And at the beginning of the pandemic, I started doing a doodle every day or I started sitting down for a five minute meditation and now I'm this better person. I feel like I didn't get the memo that I was supposed to transform myself in these months instead of just keeping my head above water so there's this lockdown growth gap I think of people who are just their same selves and people who have used this as a time to 
completely change their lives. It taps into what I wrote about in our newsletter last weekend as well, about now that we can see more of people and now that the world is opening up, suddenly realising not everyone pours their lives. And I hadn't really thought about it in quite such stark terms as that, that I was pressing pause on the big things. But that's what I've effectively done. I basically thought, okay, look, I don't have the headspace to write a book pitch. I'm not in the right place to date, really. I don't want to transform myself right now. And I don't feel able to take on huge things. But also there are so many huge things that you couldn't really do in lockdown, or certainly for me, that I felt I couldn't do. I felt that unless you already had things in your life, you kind of just had to pause the big ambitions. And for me, it was partly actually seeing you and you're so much more pregnant now because that is how that works. It is. And bumping into, not physically bumping into, but in my local cemetery, actually. All right, Buffy. I was walking the dog <laughs> that I've been looking after and I saw my friend, who's my oldest friend from school, and her husband and her baby, and he was walking. It was it was such a physical, tangible representation of how much life has changed for some people and how much life has progressed for some people because you can't pause things when they're already in motion and you can't pause things like that. But for me, there was nothing big in my life that I couldn't pause so I just did and then I've had this sort of realisation that not everyone else has been on pause and lots of people have moved forward and I, I feel this slight anxiety that I haven't. I've just waited for it to be over so that I can start achieving big things again. I think what's so odd about this moment is that it's really segmented time. You were talking about the before and after and it very much feels like there is a before and after. March is such a definitive moment in the year that then we're using that to measure everything by. Whereas if this was a normal year and you hadn't have done 20 million hit classes and now look like Cindy Crawford you probably wouldn't have even thought about it but because of this pandemic we've got this measurement that we have placed on our lives what has happened since March what has happened since lockdown what has happened since the pandemic what have I done and I think that's a very unusual place to be because normally we don't do that that time scale doesn't suit everybody everyone's got different things going on in their lives so these five six months weren't going to be super productive for everybody as you say if you didn't already have something in motion if you didn't already have a plan why all of a sudden are you going to pull something out of thin air and it's silly I think it's silly in a way because I'm always going to compare myself to other people and see what they've done and think what the fuck have I been doing I thought we were all hibernating and we were just hunkering down for winter and watching Netflix and eating a lot so that we survived the winter. We're bears. I didn't realise that some people were in their chrysalises and are now emerging and they have transformed themselves into butterflies. And here I am, a bear. <laughs> I'm not transformed. I'm just sticking my head out of the cave. Oh. You don't look like a bear. You look great. I do a bit today. I'm, do you know what? I am a lot hairier. I never had a particularly extensive hair removal routine, but I am a lot hairier. So the bear thing really holds up for me. Well, I can't even see my bikini line. I don't know what's going on down there. I wonder what the loss of your eyebrows means for your 
transformation. What does that make you? What animals? I mean, most animals don't have eyebrows. I'm a seal. You're a bear. I'm a slippery seal. Popping my head above the water, giving a little finny wave and then going back down to go and clean her cutlery drawer. (laughs) Okay. What will you recommend to me this week, Francesca? The first thing I'm going to recommend to you is a telly show. I love a telly show. It's called Inside Misguided, Made in Manchester. It's on Channel 4. It's a docuseries about the fashion brand. Misguided has always fascinated me, not for good reasons. Obviously, they were really the first brand to introduce fast fashion on the next level to Zara and accelerate Zara's already incredibly fast production process into blink an eye and... And you can wear... A cut-out side swimsuit, dental floss situation that will probably dissolve if you put it in water and may end up suffocating a turtle. Exactly. But it's only a pound, so let's buy it anyway. And obviously it spawned a whole host of copycat brands. Boohoo, I saw it first. Miss Pap, which I just think is the worst name Ooh, like a pap, for a fashion like brand. A smear. Yeah, gross. Are they thinking are they thinking paparazzi, I suppose? You say pap, I think vagina. It's very interesting to see the inner workings of such a company. It's obviously a huge successful company even though it has had financial losses the show references in 2018 it lost an awful lot of money but nevertheless it still seems to be this money making clothes churning machine so have they given access for this documentary exactly it's all based in head office they have framed it very much as misguided is this very empowered place for women to work there's lots of references to girl bosses which i hate by the way like can it not just be a boss like why do you need to be a girl boss there's lots of references to how young the team and the head office are and how much they've achieved and how well they've done and the women who work there are incredibly impressive there's a woman called treasure and she is head of creative the amount of shoots and marketing imagery campaign imagery that she has to churn out is immense But what is problematic about this is the show does not address the elephant in the room, which is their business model is encouraging an unsustainable consumption of fashion. Really? So they just don't mention that? There are a couple of very, very subtle mentions about it, but no, they don't go into it. It is all about the gloss. It's all about how quickly they can get the dress that's seen on Little Mix onto the shop floor. And I mean, we really are talking about a matter of days, how low they can get the product made for and how that means that their consumer can buy it for a lot cheaper. And that's framed as a great thing because it's accessible and we're bringing fashion to all. And then just the, the money. In the first episode, they follow the owner of the brand and one of the management team trying to bag Molly May as the face of a new campaign. And they are super transparent about the amount of money they will pay her. Ooh. So they're going in £350,000 plus an £80,000 car. Shit. It's a really fascinating one. It's been such a cultural phenomenon. They've completely transformed the landscape of fashion. And they've they've impacted the designer schedule as well. They've impacted fashion in all of its aspects and at every price point. And that ability to have supply meet demand within days has transformed fashion and has transformed consumer wants. When Misguided came along, it didn't feel appealing. We felt too old for that brand. But if I was a 16, 17, 18-year-old girl, I would find it 
really hard to resist how they market is so clever. They are spot on with how that demographic is thinking what they like. Whether you disagree with it or agree with it, whatever, it's just very interesting to see the thought process of that brand, how it works. Hmm. Interesting that it's on Channel 4, but it's been allowed to have a skewed perspective. Yeah, well, and it's not an independent narrator. It's someone who works for the brand. So so obviously has a bias towards the brand. It is interesting. Try okay. it out. Great. What else you got for me? My second recommendation is a read. It is by Yomi Adegoke for Vogue.co.uk. Yomi is a brilliant writer and she is a co-author of Slay in Your Lane. It's called Lockdown Revolutionised the Respect Your Elders Dynamic with My Parents. Ooh. First person piece discussing the dynamic of living with parents in lockdown but specifically discussing the dynamic in regards to being Nigerian and the culture that elders always know best. By way of explanation, she says, Everyone, regardless of background, learns this truth at some point. Children never truly grow up in the eyes of their parents. But for many adult children of African, Caribbean and Asian immigrants, this is less a figure of speech and more a lifestyle. At any age, attempts at correcting our parents can be interpreted as akin to a declaration of war. Respecting your elders is of paramount importance and respecting tends to mean agreeing with them all the time. How right you are is dependent on how old you are, a game rigged so that even when you hit adulthood, your parents still win because they are still older than you. It leaves many of us perpetually suspended in eternal infancy by the dungaree straps. So her mum moved in with her and her sister at the beginning of lockdown. And as she describes it, tried to implement her house rules. Things like refusing to throw away any ice cream containers in case they might need them for future freezing of food. She also uses the example of her mum having a real penchant for fake news. So having to live with somebody constantly seeing fake headlines and chain emails and taking them as gospel and Yomi having to say, hang on a minute, <laughs> this makes no sense. Why is it not on the NHS website? Why is it not on BBC News? And just basically having someone come in to your adult space and run the show. And she discusses how during the months that they've lived together, her and her sister tried to put their foot down, yet remain very respectful and very polite because that is what they were brought up to do and how to reach this happy middle ground where everybody feels comfortable. So many people have had to move back in with their parents. It's a real universal theme of what it is like trying to live with your parents and go from being adults in your own homes and having to accommodate these new ways of doing things which might have been the old ways that you used to do things but when you've grown up you've developed new ways of doing things and you've kind of forgotten how you used to behave and it's being sort of treated like the way that you do things is the incorrect way and that you can be trained i had to move in with my parents this is probably five years ago after a breakup i moved in with my parents for a couple of weeks while i found a shared house to live in because I was living with my ex. I love them to death, but I would pick up a knife in the kitchen to chop something and my dad would say, do you, do you need a sharper knife? I'm not sure that's the right knife for that. Or, oh, should you, do you need a serrated edge? And it's, at this point, I'd been living away from home for a decade and I had survived. 
I hadn't picked up the wrong knife, been unable to cut a tomato and starved to death. So you can trust there's a degree that I'm able to just do shit. But it drove me absolutely nuts. But this piece sounds really interesting because it's the slightly different perspective. As you say, so many people have had to move back in with their parents, but having a parent move in with you is very different. See, I have blazing rows with my dad every time he comes around to my house. We'll go to the loo and then he'll come back and say, I can recommend there's a really good spray that helps you get some of that condensation off the glass in the shower. And I know it comes from a well-meaning place, but I find it so offensive because it's saying, I spotted a bit of lime scale on the glass of your shower and I could teach you how to do it better. And it makes me feel like, like a child because you build this life for yourself, this complete life. And then to have a parent be like, no. You're doing that wrong. No, you've got too much condensation building up on your shower screen. It was honestly like he told me I was a failure in life. Well, and there is something about when your parents disagree with something that you've done. Anyone else in the world can disagree with it. And you just think, oh, shove off. But when your parents do it, you really take it to heart. And you do think, oh, no, I've done this whole adult thing wrong. I'm not as grown up as I thought I was because I was not using the shower descaler. By the way, my shower's not a fucking shit show, you know? (laughs) I do descale my shower. However, I attempt to use environmentally friendly products wherever possible. And they don't always do the job that a Mrs. Hinch product would do. So sometimes you don't have crystal clear glass if you are using something that is kinder on the environment. In the same way that sometimes my natural deodorant doesn't really work out for me and I smell like BO, sometimes my natural bathroom cleaners don't do the impeccable hotel finish job of something a little bit harsher. I believe you. Thank you. It's a really interesting piece. It's really relatable, but obviously because she is talking about something that is specific to her upbringing and Nigerian culture, it's very interesting to get an insight into that and see the similarities between mine experiences and the differences. I'd recommend it. You just did. What have you got for me this week, Chaz? Mine is a show. It's called Little Birds, and it is an adaptation of Anais Nin's short stories which are very erotic in nature. The story follows Lucy Savage, who's played by Juno Temple, who I love. She's this medicated and controlled heiress. She leaves 50s New York and she arrives in Morocco to marry this guy and live this new life. It's a lot about sexual exploration. The guy she marries, you see her attempting to seduce him. He's gay, but she doesn't know it. And then you see her own sexual awakening her own exploration it's really interesting and also if you are like me not getting any during lockdown and the months beyond lockdown who knows when i will have sex again we can't know but i could recommend this show because it's a great slightly erotic watch but also it looks amazing it's quite trippy and stylized the costumes are beautiful The colours are really vivid. Obviously, it's set in Morocco. So there's an element of escapism there too. If you are not leaving the UK this year, which I am not. It's on Sky Atlantic, which means I'm watching it on Now TV because I don't have Sky Atlantic. But I would highly recommend it. Thank you very much. I will treat myself to that. And you might also have the horn, Frankie. You did have the pregnancy horn actually early on, didn't you? 
It's a thing. And do you know why it's a thing? Why? An orgasm sends a rush of blood and nutrients to the baby. Oh, my God. It's a medical thing. It's not just that I was being a horny little goat. This might also be appealing to you. I mean, it will be because it's a, it's a gripping storyline and the cast are brilliant in it and it looks amazing. But, you know, you might also enjoy the sexy elements. Might be some the material there. Next time you get back from one of those sexy sparkling water dinners... oh god all right let's wrap this up before it gets pure filth charles it was lovely to speak to you i hope you enjoy the rest of your trip in yorkshire thanks friends thank you all so very much for listening if you like what you've heard please do feel free to rate and review subscribe and of course tell your friends you can also find us in written form at thewingwoman.co.uk where you can sign up for our free weekly newsletter and you can follow us on instagram at charlie gowans at frankie graddon and collectively at thewingwoman underscore see you next week